You're listening to the podcast of Real Life Church. We love, we live, we relate.
And he was the only one that encountered Jesus in his resurrected state as the king of glory. And he got the the interpretation, the dictation from the king of glory to be able to speak to us about what was going to happen. The next season, the next time was a period that lasted about 200 years. And that was the, the season of Smyrna, and that means the season of death. And friends, that was the time of the persecuted church. That was the time where basically if you served Jesus, there was certain death. And Jesus said to those people, be faithful to the point of death and you will have the crown of life. He did not in any way rebuke them because they had such an unshakable conviction of their walk with God and who they were in Christ. That they, if they made the declaration, I'm a child of God, the chances were they did not survive that day. They were going to be killed. And that was the era and the time. And remember, friends, we do not wrestle flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this age and every age had darkness that was that was released into that age that came against the sons of God so that God could fulfill the fulfillment of his bride coming into maturity and that he could come back for his bride without spot or blemish. The third church was the church of Pergamos. And this is where we see something of a compromise coming in with the church and paganism. And we see the establishing of what was known as a state church. And Pergamos means mixed marriages. And that lasted for a period of about 300 years where they established a church that was compromising. It was state and it was church and it was mixed marriages and God was not happy with that church. And what he said to that church was repent um, or I will fight against you with the sword of my mouth. You see, in, 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 in the church of Ephesus, Jesus left friends. And then the church of Smyrna, he said, you're going to get a crowd of life. To the next season, to the next time, he said, repent, what you're doing is wrong. And that took us into the next church era. And that was the church era of Thyatira. And Thyatira means continual sacrifice or semiramis. And that was a period of about 900 years. And what was interesting about this, it was from the year approximately 606, the commentaries say and the concordances say that I researched, And what happened at that time was that they were embracing a Jezebel spirit. And God said to them, do not embrace a Jezebel spirit. You see, a Jezebel is an illegitimate authority. It's a seducing spirit that rises up against the official authority. Ahab was the official king. But Jezebel, the queen, tried to take his stamp, tried to take his authority, seduce people into paganism, and woo them into her lifestyle. And she took and undermined his authority. And that's what a Jezebel does. And friends, Jesus said to that church, you have embraced the Jezebel. His warning to that church, to the Thyatira church, and was, I have this against you. You tolerate Jezebel. Unless you repent, I will strike her children dead. Do not hold on to her teachings and learn Satan's death. And so we see that in that era, friends, there was an establishing of a Jezebel spirit. Now, it's very interesting for me as we look at history that in that time and in that era, 606, through to approximately 1520. The first universal pope was established in 607. The Bible says, don't call any man father. And suddenly there was a father who called himself God on earth. In 6.10, Islam was established. Suddenly there was another father that was established in that time. Two fathers, two illegitimate authorities, two Jezebel spirits that were established in the season of Tartara, and that was the time where God said, repent, because you tolerate 
this woman Jezebel. And it went out of that. It was a, a power-driven religion, control, guilt, punishment, seduction, and idolatry. Why am I telling you this? Because we have to recognize the time that we're living in. Out of that, it went into Sardis. Sardis was known as the remnant or the dead church. And that was the period of about 200 years from approximately 1520 to 1730. This was the era of the reformers, friends. And why did Jesus say that that was a dead church? Because reform means to bring back that which was left, to reform, to bring them back. They were bringing the church back out of paganism, back into the church that Jesus established. But they only did part of the job. They restored the word of God. They restored baptism. They restored worship. But they did not restore the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, you think you're alive, but you did. In Ephesus, in Smyrna, he said to them, you think you're poor, but you're very rich. He said to the, to the church of the reformers, you think you're alive, but you're dead. He says in Revelation 3, verse 2 to 3, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in God's sight. If you do not wake up, and this is the first time he talks about coming back. And this is the church of Sardis. This is church number five, the fifth time. He says, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief in the night, and you will not know what time I will come. Why did he say that to them? Because they had the word, but they never had the spirit. The first time the Holy Spirit came back was with George Fox and the Quakers, and that was at the end of the Reformer age. And instead of them recognizing, we've got a bit and we've got to get more, each one made their bit. The whole bit. And that's why we've got so many fragmented churches today. Because each one says, I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. And they wouldn't link arms and they wouldn't bring it all together. And they were not in the fullness of God. And he said, you think you're alive, but you did. And I'm going to come like a thief in the night and you won't be ready. And this is the first time that Jesus in the times and the seven eras talks about coming back. And the next church era that we see um, is the Philadelphia church. And he loved the Philadelphia church. Philadelphia means brotherly love. It means a favorite church. And that was the period of about 200 years. And this was the period after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, when people started operating under the great glory. We had Wesley and people like that. And then we had the missionaries being sent to all over the world. It was the first church that was fulfilling the commission after Ephesus. Because they were taking everything that they had and taking it into the nations. They were giving their life to go and establish the kingdom of heaven wherever they went. And there are amazing people. And if you study that era, you'll see just exactly what God did. And so much of what we're living is because of what was open to that generation. And he said this of that period. He said, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will keep you from the hour of trial. That is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. It's the second time Jesus talks about coming back, friends. And he says to the Philadelphia church, he says, you are not going to go through the hour of trial. But there's a church coming that is, friends. And he says, hold on to your crown. Don't let anyone take it. And then he says to them, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. And so we see this incredible period of time where Jesus has said, I'm going to come like a thief in the night because you haven't got everything. And then he says, you've got everything. You've done everything I wanted you to do. Just hang on to that because I'm coming soon. And then, friends, we get taken into the Laodicea era. 
And the Laodicea is the final church era, friends. And the final church era is the era that we're living in today. Now, that period of time, how do we know when that started? Well, the commentaries in the history books say that it started approximately 900, and we've been living in it for 120 years. Now, when Peter got up at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he quoted Joel, and he said, this, um, the, uh, this, oh, let me, I'm getting, uh, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, bloody, bloody, blah. Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit, wonders in the heavens and on earth, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, Joel quoted that, friends, but he said something else. He said the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Malachi, Malachi quoted it, and he quoted and he said, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, Elijah was going to rise up. That outpouring of the Spirit is the Spirit of Elijah. We're living in the time of Elijah. What is relevant about Elijah? Well, Elijah was the man, friends, that was fed supernaturally. Elijah was the man that could come up against the Jezebel and was able to bring fire down. Elijah was the man that was fed by ravens. He was the man that raised the dead. He was the man that was watered. He was the man that was able to um, and multiply um, everything that he had, and he never died, friends. And the spirit of Elijah, the last day spirit, is a people that will operate in the supernatural, that will be fed supernaturally, that will be able to usher in the same spirit that Elijah had, that will not be intimidated. But it is after the resurrection of Christ with mercy and with grace, and then we see Elisha, and Elisha had a double mantle. And the greatest difference between Elijah and Elisha was that Elisha could open eyes to see the supernatural. You see, Elisha saw the supernatural. That's why he received the mantle. But he opened the eyes of his servants. But he could also shut eyes, friends. And I want to tell you, we're going into a time when we need to know how to open eyes and how to shut eyes. How do we know that the Laodicea season had started? By the great outpourings. He said in the last days I'm going to pour out my spirit. We saw the outpouring happen in Acts. But the word of God is always about to and through. There was a greater outpouring. When, when, when they asked Jesus about the end times, they said to him, Jesus, tell us the sign of the end of age. The very end friends, the last day church, that's who we are. Revelation 3 verse 15 to 20. And this is Jesus talking to the Laodicea church, the lukewarm church. You think you're rich, but you're poor because you've got everything, but you haven't come into my wholeness and my fullness. I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold, a compromising church. Because you are lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, but you do not realize you are rich and pitiful, poor and blind. I counsel you to buy from me. Pay the cost of what he has. Gold refined, that is glory, friends. We need to pay the cost to get glory. What did Jesus say? John the Baptist said Jesus came to give the Spirit and fire. What did Jesus say? He said, wait until the Spirit comes on you. Filled with the Spirit. He did that in John 20. But they had to wait for the fire, friends. And God is calling a people that will pay the cost to wait for the fire, the refinest fire to get the gold. And to have white clothes to cover your shamefulness because we're living in a licentious generation. And to solve your eyes to see those I love, I rebuke and I discipline and be earnest and repent. And then he says this, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is at the door, friends. We see the incredible 
calling that happened from 1904. It's been revival after revival. What is revival? Reviving that which was dead. Reviving that which was lost. Holiness has been revived. Faith has been revived. Speaking in tongues has been revived. I was born again in the 70s. Um, revival of the Jesus people. The love for Jesus was revived. The joy of the Lord was revived. And then there was the incredible revival of the Father's love. Friends, it's been an outpouring, an outpouring of almost constant revival. But we're living in the very last days. We're living in the time where Jesus says in Matthew 24, the very end of the times, he says four times, do not be deceived. The greatest thing that's coming against the end time church, and I want you to understand this, is the spirit of deception. And the spirit of deception is getting us to be taken, focused off what Jesus, what is deception? It is so close to truth that they look right like each other, but it takes you off on a great distance. The next thing he said, do not allow fear to operate. Do not be alarmed. Friend, in this time, we cannot be alarmed. We've got to know that Jesus has got it. The next thing that he says, there will be a great falling away. Friends, we are living in what's called the post-church era. How do I know that we're at the very end of the end time? Because of the great falling away. We also know that Israel was going to be established. Well, that happened in 1948. It says false prophets will arrive and false messiahs will arrive. And I want to tell you now, false prophets are predicting things and people are following it. Who predicted a pandemic? The prophets of God or false prophets? And the whole world is following the voices of false prophets. It says if, if these days had not been cut short, no one would have been would have survived. But for the sake of the elect, these days have been shortened. But at the same time, as this portal of revival has been opened and God has been pouring out, the enemy always has to use God's portal to do something. At the same time, friends, at the same time that the most anointed people were born, there were the most evil people born. And we see the outpouring of the demonic waters over the world. What, I'm talking to you about the time we're living in. What did they come to do? They came to remove all absolutes. And I can't go into that with great detail, but what I can tell you. What about if Isaiah 59 was actually talking about a specific time? It says, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise a standard. When will that happen? When the flooding of the world is taken over by the demonic waters to remove all absolutes, to remove everything that is godly, that is moral, that is Christian, that's Judeo-Christian understanding that's come in to remove that. And God said at times, the enemy with the fullness of revival, it's going to be the most terrible time. Timothy speaks about the fact, he says there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of self and all the rest of those things. But there was an outpouring of demonic waters. Now, what if Isaiah was talking about a specific time frame? What if he was talking about what the, the new age world and the demonic world call the age of Aquarius? What if he was talking about a time where there would be a demonic flooding of the waters? You see, that's spoken about in Revelation 12 as well, when he says that from his mouth the serpent spewed water to overtake the woman and to sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river. And then the dragon spewed out of his mouth, and the dragon, enraged with the woman, went off to make war against her offspring. My friends, everything about what is happening in the world today is directly against the church. And we see that this incredible thing, it says, but when the enemy comes in like a flood, God's going to raise a standard. And right out of that scripture, we go into the next one that says, arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the 
exactly the planning and how deep that darkness is. I wish I had. I went to a meeting a, a few years ago when there was a lot of prophets in South Africa and, 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 a, and a, self, um, a, a member of the ANC got up and he says, has anybody here heard about the writings of Alice Bailey? And I put my hand up and so did two other people. And there was a room of about 400 people. He said, these are the only three prophets that know the signs of the times. Because the UN and South Africa are following the plan that's been written by that prophet of the New Age Church, which is the counterfeit of the end-time spiritual born-again church. And we need to understand what is happening right now, friends, because what is happening right now is planned to destroy the things that God is wanting. But in this time of deep darkness, God has raised up a people, and he says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. See, a darkness covers the people, a deep darkness the people, but the glory has risen on you. My friends, the glory couldn't rise until the outpouring of the Spirit came into the world. And we are living in the greatest times. Joel said, dreadful times. Malachi said, dreadful times. But Peter, experiencing the Holy Spirit, said it would be glorious for those who know God. And I want to say this to you, friends, that how deep is the darkness? How deep is the darkness? We're living at the end times of the Laodicea season. Last year, God said, I'm about to shake the world, and everything that is not of me is going to be shaken away. Friends, if you've been shaken, that was the Spirit of God preparing you in a time where he said, you have to have your feet built on the rock of Jesus Christ, so that when the storms come and the waves come, you will not be shaken. We've got to be a standard that cannot be shaken in this time. How do we become a standard? How do we arise? How do we shine? How do we become the people that God wants us to be when the Darkness is incredibly, incredibly deep, friends, and it's only going to get deeper because he said if a time was not cut short, even the elect would be deceived. How do we do that? Well, number one, friends, we cannot neglect the gathering of believers. It says in Hebrews 10, verse 24, and let us consider one another to provoke upon love and to do good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is but exhorting one another, even the more, as we see the day approaching. In the last days, he says, doctrines of demons are going to be trying to teach the church. We need the discernment. We need to be able to discern that's God, that is not God. And I want to tell you, friends, there's a lot of stuff out there that's going under the name of God, under the name of Jesus, under the name of the prophetic that is not God. How do you know that it's not God? Because it's not drawing out of the darkness and bringing it to the light. And um, it says in that same passage of scripture, arise and shine, it says, but the Lord will arise on you and his glory shall be seen upon you and all nations will come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your glory. So number one, friends, we need the church more than ever. We need each other, but the church is going to change the way it looks because God is shaking out that which is not him, that which is man's good ideas and they were great for a season. <coughs> They're not grateful now. When I was in China in, 19, in 2018, God gave me a prophetic word for China, and then he spoke to me, and he said, Kathy, I want you to look around you. This is the forerunner church for the world. This is what the church is going to look like. What did it look like, friends? The priesthood of all believers, priests and kings, Every person taking responsibility for their own growth. It says in, in their own maturity, 1 Timothy 4 verse 7, train yourself to be godly. 
We are responsible for our maturity and our growth friends. We come together to encourage each other, to lift each other's arms, to love each other, to have incredible portals of worship, to have incredible portals of going deeper in Christ. But friends, your maturity is your problem. <coughs> We've got to be worshippers that know how to worship Him in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for worshippers. Why, friends? Because worship changes atmospheres and worship changes frequencies. And we've got to know how to change frequencies and we've got to know how to change atmospheres. We've got to become worshippers. And my friends, if you're not a worshipper primarily, you don't know how to come into the presence of God. You don't know how to drink from His well. You don't know how to enter rest. And you don't know how to fill yourself up. <coughs> <coughs> I'm trying to talk quickly because my time's running out. <coughs> We've got to be people like Elijah that are not intimidated by darkness, but can go and stand and represent him. <coughs> Elijah could talk to the weather friends. He could change the weather. God is looking for a people that know the authority and can change the weather. We've got to have intimacy with the Lord. It says in, in Matthew 7, and I want to encourage you to study that passage of Scripture. Many will say, Lord, Lord, but I'll say I never knew you. Because he wants intimacy. He wants us to know him. And he wants to know us. It says in Matthew 7, verse 13, it's a narrow road. We cannot be compromised, friends. Because he's looking for clean vessels filled with the Spirit. What is the difference between these vessels? They're all of a different function. But it's the same Spirit. Where are you meant to flow, because it's an overflowing. You see, friends, if I want to drink this wine, and it is real wine, I never had grape juice. If I want to drink this wine, what do I do? I drink it. I tilt the vessel. My friends, if people need to drink the wine in you, you've got to pour it out. They've got to meet the wine in you. It's not about you. And the enemy continuously wants to compare us and say, you're not as good as him. You're not as anointed. No, rubbish, friends. You have been called to be where you are to do what you've been called to do so that the, the, the mountain of the Lord can be established. How do we establish it? We carry glory wherever we go and we pour out the glory of God. It says in Galatians 4 that even though you're a son, because you are immature, you need governors to teach you. But a son is an heir and the father says, I'm now giving you permission to be a son and to establish the fullness of his glory. We've got to spend time in his presence. We've got to wait until the fire comes, friends, because he's not looking for ordinary people. And I want to tell you the difference between an ordinary person and an extraordinary person is not what they look like. It's what they carry. And he wants us to carry a greater glory. We have to be ready like those ten virgins. You see, friends, all those virgins were in the midnight hour. They were all in the deepest darkness. All of them. They all were the light in that dark place. But some of them were prepared and they were waiting with expectation. Even though they dozed off, they had oil. And the others hadn't. And he said, be ready with expectation because I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking and do not grow weary in well-doing. You see, my friends, in Romans 8, 14, it says that the sons of God will walk just like Jesus and they will set creation free. Jesus cannot come back for two reasons. The end time sons haven't taken their rightful place. And the church that he's coming back for is still unsaved. My friends, there's a great falling away. The rebellion has started because God said it's going to happen. But there is a great harvest coming. It says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a great harvest coming. And what is our role? Our role is to reach that harvest. How do you reach them? By taking the love and the glory of God that is within you. And now if I can have two more minutes, I just want to share testimony. Because my daughter said, Mom, if you don't tell them how you've done it, they'll never understand. I want to quickly just share two testimonies. The first one was this. 
I was working as a nursing sister in a hospital. My mates were in charge was a was a was a lesbian, and um, she was an agnostic, and she did not want anything to do with God. When I went there, they told me that do not talk about Jesus, do not talk about God, don't do anything. You see, my friends, the Bible says we've got to be as wise as serpents, and we've got to be as innocent as doves. And I went there and I served it with all of my heart and all, I don't do anything half-hearted. I do everything with all of my mouth and all of my heart. And I served with everything within me. And the one day, but God has given me that job. And he told me that I had to pray for every single person that went into theater. I was working in theater. And my job was recovery. I saw them before theater. I saw them after theater. And Jesus said to me, I want you to pray for every person who wants to be prayed for. Because I want you to meet them at that place of greatest fear. And I was praying for patience and praying for patience and praying for patience. And her office had glass windows. And the one day she called me, called me into her office. And I was desperate for that job, friends. And she called me into the office and she said to me, Sister Delahunt, <clears throat> you're not allowed to pray for patience on my ward. I don't tolerate that. And that's not what we do in this place. We're here to work. I felt life drained out of me. I felt fear grip my heart, friends. Because I needed that job. And I looked at her and I remembered be as wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. And I said to her, sister, I want to ask you a question. She said, yes. I said, have I ever done anything in my serving you that has been dishonoring of you? She said, no, never. I said, have I ever been late arriving at work? She said, no, never. I said, have I ever gone early? She said, no, never. I said, would you consider me to be a good nurse? She said, you're one of the best I've ever had. And I looked at her and I said, I want to thank you for that. Because you see, when I came here, I came to serve you. And I have to serve you well. And you have got to know that I'm here because I've got your back and because I care about you. And I'm going to do everything in my power to be the best nurse that you could ever have. And I was a trained nursing sister at the time. And she said, thank you, Sister Delahunt. I'm glad you understand. I said, but I've got a problem. She said, what's that? I said, I serve someone higher than you. And they told me that if I get this job, I have to pray for every patient because they're fearful, they're scared, and they need to be covered. And I've been commissioned to do that. And you see, as much as I want to serve you, I want to serve him. But I fear him more than I fear you. And so I'm sorry, sister, if you need to fire me, please do. But there's a patient waiting to be prayed for. And I walked out of there and I went and prayed for the patient right under the window. We never had another conversation, friends. She never, ever came back to that again. A while later when I resigned, because I'd got another offer with less hours, because I was then already being partly full-time, I met her three months afterwards, and when she saw me, she ran up to me. She said, Sister Jelaz, I've been looking for you. They've asked me to find you. There have been so many requests for you to come back. We'll do anything so that you can come back to this hostel. You see, friends, we do not get intimidated by the intimidator. But we have to offer something that is everything within us to glorify the king. And we've got to be as wise as serpents. And we've got to be as innocent as doves. We've got to wait for the fire of God to come upon us. I want to tell you another testimony very quickly. I have many to tell you. I have lived a life of miracles. I've seen the dead race. I've seen babies coming back to life that have been dead three weeks in the body. My daughter was born and told that she would never be normal because she had died five times. She was retarded. I prophesied her back into fullness of her destiny. Because you see, my friends, I'm just a little old lady. But I believe something. I believe that I'm a glory carrier, and I believe that the Spirit of God within me cannot be shaken. Am I weak? Am I feeble? Do my knees shake? You bet your bottom dollar they do. You bet your bottom dollar that every time I take a step of faith, I am shaking on the outside. My knees are quivering, but I never doubt that 
which is within me. And friends, I want to tell you, when you are full of the Spirit of God, and when you are full of fire, and how do you become full of fire? You wait until the Spirit comes on you. Many years ago, we were in a place, and I'll end with this testimony, and then I'm done. We were in a place, it, it was Halloween, same time of the year, and, and they used to do human sacrifice, and we knew they did human sacrifice, and they used to go and draw them out from children, and we went to this place where the children were meeting together, and we would just go and pray, <coughs> just go and pray, pray quietly, but go in a big group and pray, shift the atmosphere, friend, you have the authority to shift the atmosphere, you have the authority to speak to the weather, and it has to change, you have authority, not because what you look like on the outside, but because of the glory within you. And we went there that night, and we were about 40 people. It was a very crowded room, a very dark room, lots of demonic music. It was a terrible place. But we'd gone there to save the souls that they could not take a child. And we quietly prayed around the, the, in that place, just quietly, under our breaths. And the next minute, they called the police on us. And they said, take them away. We don't want them here. And the police said, what are they doing? And they said, they're praying. So they said, well, how are they praying? They said, under their breath. It's police that we can't address people for praying under their breath. They're not disturbing the peace. We can't do anything. And they left. And friends, I can't tell you if it was 10 or 12 men. Because I couldn't count in the very quick time that it happened. But I'm not very tall. I'm five foot two. And I was standing in the back of a very crowded room. We kept our contact with each other. And that night we'd lost our contact. And I was standing surrounded by people in this dark room with this heavy music playing. And the next minute, about two meters in front of me, I see this group of men walking up to me in a semicircle. And it was just before um, uh, 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 Halloween. And there was a frenzy in the air. There was they could, they could sense the demonic activity. And these men walked up toward me, and the middle one had a knife in his hand. And it was close enough for me to hear what he said. And I heard him say, if they won't get rid of her, we will. And I want to tell you, friends, in that moment, fear gripped my heart like I'd never known. I stood in the corner knowing two more steps, and I would be dead. They were just going to stab me with this knife. No one would know a thing. I would be found in the corner. I would just be crumbled up there, and by the time they find me, they wouldn't even know who did it. And fear gripped my heart, and I felt myself shrinking with fear, friends. And as that happened, the fire of God and the spirit of faith fell on me, and God said to me, Kathy, roar, the lion of the tribe of Judah is within you. And friends, I stood up, little me, and I looked these men in their eyes, and they were at least ten, if not twelve. And by now, they were literally one meter away from me. And I roared at them. And friends, when I roared the first time, very little happened. They just looked at me. But when I roared the second time, I became massive. I could feel myself rising up and becoming this massive person. I think my angel took over. And as I roared the second time, friends, fear gripped their eyes. The same fear that had been in me gripped them. And they fled. They left the room and they fled. And I want to tell you, we lived there for another year. And I knew exactly who they were. I had seen them many times. And from that second onwards, when we walked down the street, they would cross the road and go on the other place. And everybody that we met said, I've met people. I've met people in this town. And they petrified of the woman with the green eyes. My friends, I'm a little old lady. I'm a granny. But I've got a powerful God living in me. And I want to tell you now, never be intimidated. Never ever let the shaking of your knees stop you from being a glory carrier. Because you carry glory. 
And I want to tell you now, twice since then, I've had somebody break into my house. And twice since then, I've run straight at them and roared and they have fled friends. And I want to tell you now, when we learn that we have authority, when we learn we can speak to the weather, I've often spoken to the weather. When we learn Jesus left us, friends, with power, the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit, and he left us with authority. How do you know your authority? You're a son of God. The angels know you. The demons know you. And God fights on your behalf. How do you know you've got power when you see the supernatural happening? And I want to tell you, friends, we have been chosen for a time such as this. Every one of us, and it doesn't matter what you look like, the glory is within you. Deep is the darkness, and it's going to get deeper, and it's going to get darker. And you better train your children, you better equip yourself for how deep that darkness is coming. And this is the era that's going to go through the marking of the beast. And this is the era that's going to see the performance. But I don't know when, and I don't know where, but I do know one thing, friends. Walk in authority and speak. God said 2020 would be the years of eyes to see and mouth to speak. There is authority on our mouth. We declare, we speak, we prophesy, and we establish. And God is not looking for people that will shrink back. He's looking for worshippers that will know him, that will follow the spirit, that will wait until the fire comes on them. And then they will be who he's called them to be. Amen. Amen. Absolutely fantastic, Kathy. <clears throat> Brilliant. I, I, I'm inspired. And just, you know, some of the chat, even, even, even in this past season, I know Kathy has prayed for people in the, I think it's in the Orange Free State, specifically for weather and addressed weather. And the testimony has come back um, that all the farms in the area, except for these farms, have had phenomenal fr- frost. All the farms, except for these farms, have had poor fruit and, and results. So this isn't just, you know, a charismatic bumper sticker, and I'm so beyond charismatic bumper stickers and the religious, religious, religiosity. But, you know, I love the fact that this five foot two powerful woman really is wuss, you know, and, and she comes, and she comes out blazing, and, and even just her, her encouragement this morning when I spent time with her this morning, you know, Kathy, you, you don't just say it, you actually do it. And I love you for that. Um, Ryan, Alexander, who, who, who would like to, to, to share some testimony, some input following, following that? I'd be nervous. Go for it. Go for it, Ryan. Ali, can you please make me a co-host again so I can unmute? I, I can't unmute yeah, people. I'm here. I'm here. Go for it, Chad. Thank you for listening. 